it's awesome to be in amongst real people. I don't have to worry about whether I'm muted or uh, or not, and uh, if my video's on. But uh, I I've spent the last probably 12 months, I guess, relegated to the basement, uh, doing our uh, online campus stuff on Sunday mornings. So I'm the one, if you have been on either live stream or, or uh, Facebook live, I'm the one that's typing in there, trying to chat, welcome everybody, thanks for joining us, that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, so... Uh, it's kind of, I kind of felt like I was a, a mainframe computer guy <clears throat> hidden in the basement. You know, that's kind of my vision of a, one of the mainframe computer dudes, at which those are not a lot of those around anymore. But, uh, but I think that some of you will know what I'm talking about. But I've enjoyed doing that, but I have a wonderful opportunity to get out amongst real live human beings and see everybody on the gallery view, if you will. So uh, anyway, I do want to celebrate something with you. Uh, Pastor Derek has, uh, has done every second Sunday of the month. We kind of give an update on our um, Multiply 2028 campaign. And so I want to just give a report on that. You know, we started this uh, in basically the middle of, of November of last year. And just since then, um, we have received, as of last week, $311,251.16, which is awesome. Praise the Lord for that. While that has been given from all of our campuses uh, online and in person or mailing or whatever. And uh, it, it is uh, one of the things that's helped us to do as of tomorrow when we make our, the payment, our regular mortgage payment tomorrow, that payment will put us below two, I mean, sorry, 1.7 eight million dollars so we have been we've been over two million for years and so now as of tomorrow we'll have it'll be one million seven hundred and eighty eight thousand three hundred and sixty dollars and thirty cents so if anybody wants to hand me anything to cover that on the way out I'll be glad to take care of that for you but I just want to praise the Lord for what he's done, his provision for us. That's awesome. So, yeah. Uh, one of the things that that giving has done, and we'll get to experience it in, on this campus, uh, starting Sunday, or, well, Saturday, uh, in regards to the uh, Hispanic mission. The, the, it's called Mission Esperanza. It's the Hispanic work that's going to be starting in September here on this campus. Uh, and, but, but this coming Saturday, we're going to be having a health fair here. And uh, you've probably heard of that already. I think Micah, Pastor Micah has said something, I'm sure, about that. But um, they're going to need help 
They would love, if you haven't signed up or if you haven't talked to uh, Ricardo Moriera, he'd love to talk to you. Just have an opportunity to help and participate Saturday. We're expecting probably around, maybe even more than 200 uh, people from the Hispanic community in our parking lot uh, being doing health assessments or getting uh, health assessments done in partnership with uh, Olathe Medical Center. So uh, that's a, a great opportunity for you to see how the, uh, the funds that are given to Multiply 2028 have been seed money to get that work started. So that's awesome. So um, one of the things that I want to do now is to just continue on in our study in the book of First Peter. And this week our study brings us to uh, chapter 4, uh, verses um, 7 through 11. And I'll be standing up here in front of you for a while, so if you wouldn't mind standing with me for just a minute as, we, uh, uh, as I read our scripture for us, and then I'll, we can, you can sit back down. But um, let's follow along with me. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, and to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would have an experience even now, like the church in Thessalonica experienced so long ago when Paul declared that when the word went forth, it didn't go forth in word only, but instead it also went in power, bringing about full conviction. Father, we pray that you would grant us that blessing, that your word would bring about conviction and repentance, renewed faith, and the practical work of new obedience. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you may be seated and you won't even have to get up until the end. So, um, you know, up to this point, Peter has been writing to churches who were struggling under massive amounts of external pressure. And these churches were under significant social pressure uh, to conform to the cultural practices of the day. Now, uh, we've seen up to this point that this pressure often came from within their own families sometimes. Sometimes it came from their, uh, their uh, bosses or 
their masters. It came from government at that time. And, and when they didn't uh, conform to these pressures, they suffered outright persecution and great suffering which created even more pressure. And we see Peter trying to, um, trying to fortify the internal <clears throat> uh, strength of these churches in order uh, to help them stand firm in the midst of all these societal and cultural uh, external pressures. And Peter knows that, that he can't himself specifically do anything about these societal pressures, but he can faithfully work to maintain and to, to uh, reinforce, if you will, the internal health of the churches. And so Peter is writing uh, to inspire. He's writing to instruct uh, believers in order that he might strengthen their resolve and enable them to uh, stand firm uh, and endure uh, together. And we've seen that Peter focuses the believer's attention on facing that external pressure, and he's been helping these believers or as we call them, as we call ourselves, exiles, um, to understand the nature of their suffering at the time um, at the hands of the outside world. And he's been showing them how the gospel of Jesus Christ helps them to, to hold them up and faithfully endure this suffering that they've been going through. And, uh, but in verses 7 through 11 in our passage this morning, Peter takes a little bit different tact because these verses are focused on the internal dynamics of the church. He's talking about how the church must treat one another during these challenging times. And we see this internal focus um, is just as important as the external awareness was. Because one of the aspects of, um, or, or one of the impacts of this external pressure on the church is that the church can start to really turn in on itself. And Peter is trying to prevent that from happening. And Peter begins then by reminding these believers that the end of all things is at hand. The Bible is very clear that the history of existence is a definite story. In other words, he, uh, there's a clear beginning and there's a clear middle and then there's a clear end. And in grace, God sets in motion a plan to redeem human beings from 
uh, sin and death and judgment and to create and to restore a new heaven and a new earth where um, redeemed humanity will dwell with him forever. And that plan of redemption is fulfilled through Jesus Christ. See, the Bible is clear that Jesus' uh, life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension has set up history for this ultimate end that Peter talks about. And Jesus himself says it in Matthew 24. He says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the nations and then the end will come. The end. You see, history, uh, as we know it, will come to a conclusion. We're told that Jesus will return from heaven in um, salvation and in judgment, and at his command, the heavens will, um, will be rolled up like a scroll. All of those who had rejected him uh, will be judged once and for all, and, and then uh, will be subject to his judgment for all eternity. But here, listen this, all who have believed in him, we will experience the fullness of salvation forever. And that's a long time, forever. In context, for application uh, today, I think we need to all recognize also that each one of us has an expiration date. We all do. Uh, we don't know when it is, but we know that every one of us will die. You know, when we, Jonathan Locke is preaching the same uh, passage and main points at Antioch today, so we work together to develop everything. And when we were talking about the title for the message, uh, it brought back to a, a country song, sorry, a country song that is not scriptural or biblical in any way, but uh, how many have heard the song, Live Like You Are Dying? I like that song. Uh, you know, we kind of, I actually sang that song as I uh, walked out to the truck to take Phyllis, my wife, and my youngest daughter, Kara, who's 24, to take them skydiving. <laughs> I sang that song to them. And, and, uh, and I, I was very happy to tell them, you need to live like you're dying, and I'll take you, and I'll watch you go up in the airplane. <laughs> And I'll be down here taking pictures. Because I'm a pilot, I don't jump out of perfectly good airplanes. <clears throat> but uh, I say all that <laughs> to say that this, that song came to mind when we came for this title. We titled it um, to um, 
live like there's no tomorrow because we didn't. And we thought it would be a bit too much to have that song playing as we went up to the... That would not go well. But when we recognize that uh, we all have this expiration date, the key, the biblical side of that idea is to understand that the world is watching us every day. So as we live like the end times are here, live like we were dying, you know, in that context, we need to recognize that the world is watching us, but they're watching um, how we deal with our own mortality. They're watching how we deal with persecution. And they're watching on how we deal with pressure from the outside, but also from the inside. And Peter knows this, that when we face temptation and we face persecution, and just a side note, we don't know what persecution is yet. We maybe have been inconvenienced, but the American church hasn't been persecuted yet. But uh, there will be a day when we do, but there are brothers and sisters in Christ who I have met, who I've seen, and I've walked with them in the mountains in China, and I've walked with them in Iraq, and I've seen them suffering for their faith, but, and in Somalia as well, but Peter knows that when we face these pressures, uh, they can make the, all the details of this life um, and all of the afflictions that we seem to uh, experience. It, it can make it uh, basically feel overwhelmingly ultimate, the stuff that we're going through. The problems of this life under pressure start to be, uh, they start to get to be too big. And then the promises of God seem to be so small when you're in the midst of, of these struggles. Sometimes if we're not careful um, and the promises of God uh, as they as we kind of feel like they're small, we begin to act in, in, in really uh, desperate self-preservation. We're quick to take refuge in any worldly power that we think is going to protect us and that we think uh, we, we're, we're quick to, to strike out against anything that we think... Uh, uh, appears to be threatening to us. Uh, just look at the church in general, not just here, but the church in general over the last year and a half. Um, the division, uh, the people getting frustrated with each other and the anger and the animosity because you don't believe the way I believe or or whatever, you don't watch the right news channel or, you know, so 
You know, anything that appears to threaten us, we're so quick to strike at when we're not recognizing the fact that, um, that it's really, this, the scripture tells us that reality is the exact opposite. Uh, let me uh, just explain it in a way that Paul says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. He says, the slight momentary afflictions of this life are preparing us for an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. And Peter knowingly uh, declares this. He says, look, at the, at the end of all things is at hand and an event is coming and a new reality is coming and Jesus himself is coming and in his coming and all that it brings with it, all of that so dwarfs all of these external trials of this life that if we believe in it and we rest in that, it will utterly transform how we see life now and how we live on the other side of eternity. We must remember that the end of all things is at hand. It's what Peter's trying to get a point, that point across to us. And we have the end of the story in mind. It, it changes the way we live now. Peter gives us in our passage this morning some priorities that, that really flow out of this reality that the end of all things is near. So if you're a, a note taker, you can. the first uh, point is that an exile's priority is to pray purposefully. So how do we do that? Peter says, be self-controlled and be sober-minded. And when Peter is speaking about being sober-minded, I think he's, he's just referring back to what he just said. If the end of all things is at hand, then we need to think about that. And, and we must let that reality uh, give our present vision clarity. We don't need to let ourselves get caught up in the passions of the moment. We must not get drunk on the thinking that the trials that we're going through are ultimate. But with spiritual sobriety, Paul is saying, um, uh, Peter is saying, and, and with intellectual clarity, that we must see things in their proper perspective. And through this sober-mindedness, we can find self-control. Now, uh, self-control, we know, is a fruit of the Spirit, which enables us to discipline our passions so that we don't act out of rash or destructive ways um, in the heat of the moment. Uh, Self-control enables us to discipline our tongues so that we don't speak recklessly or uh, using destructive words. 
Self-control enables us to, to discipline our bodies so that we don't give in to the lust of the flesh in the moment. And Peter has two things in mind when he speaks of self-control. Knowing the end is near and knowing that Christ is coming in salvation and judgment, we should be self-controlled and thus refraining from the flood of immorality that the world is calling us to. We see it on TV all the time. We see it uh, uh, in the shows that are shown in prime time. We see it uh, on, the, on the web as well. Uh, it's, we're inundated with the, the world's morality, which is immoral. And this is what, this is what Peter has just gotten through talking about in verses 3 and 4. Yet I think Peter has probably more in mind uh, than just that based on what he's going to say in the next uh, coming verses. I think he's also calling us to exercise self-control in how we deal with one another, how we engage in relationships within the church. The context in the scripture would strongly suggest to us that the external pressures of persecution and of suffering are causing these Christians that he's writing to to have some level of friction with one another. And Peter is not just saying, hey, the end's coming, so don't, don't uh, go sin with the pagans. He's not just saying that. But he's also saying, look, knowing that the world is coming, um, be careful in how you deal with one another. Hold back against turning on and speaking against one another as if your life somehow uh, depended on your, vind your vindication. That's what he's saying the, the end of all things is at hand and Christ is coming and we all have this expiration date. So be self-controlled and careful in the way that we deal with one another. And he says that the failure to do so, Peter says, will affect your prayers. The next point for your notes is that an exile's priority is to love deeply. Once again, how do we do that? Peter says that we're to love, some, um, some versions of Scripture say, love one another earnestly, some say deeply. But Peter then says that this is most important because he uses two words, above all. Above all. So we must not only be self-controlled, and refrain from speaking and doing bad against our brothers and sisters in Christ, but we also must, in a far more positive way, love them and live for their welfare. It's not, it's not enough just to not harm a brother and sister in Christ. We must actually, he says, love them deeply and well. 
And in such love, Peter says, this covers a multitude of sins. Again, I think Peter could have a kind of double meaning in mind, but he uses this phrase, covers a multitude of sins. On one hand, I think we could say that one of the practical horizontal blessings, um, horizontal blessings of, uh, of treating each other uh, fairly and, and uh, taking care of one another, loving one another deeply, is that it creates a, um, a sense of forbearance, a forbearance where we're not overwhelmed when we are confronted with other people's sin in the church. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, he says love keeps no record of wrongs. It bears all things. Love forgives. Love forbears. Love is ultimately what makes community between fallen human beings who sin all the time possible. You know, our hope for a thriving church community among all of the Baptist work that we do at Blue Valley Baptist Church cannot possibly rest on the prospect of everybody doing the right thing all the time. Listen, there's people leave all the time because somebody's feelings got hurt, somebody said something or somebody didn't say something, or somebody didn't check on me at the hospital, or whatever reason it is, feelings get hurt and people leave, and they go to another church assuming that there's a perfect church out there. And I got news for you, because every church is made up of human beings. There is no perfect church, period. If you find one, let me know, and we'll all go to it. But I'm, I'm just saying, here on earth, Churches are filled with people that are humans. The only perfect person ever was Christ. And he died, and he was buried, and he was rose again on the third day, and he, uh, he ascended into heaven, and he sits right now at the right hand of the Father. He's the only perfect being. Ever. So, you know, we need to give ourselves a little bit of a break and recognize that uh, we cannot expect everybody to be perfect all the time. It, you know, it can't rest on the hope that every one of us is always going to exhibit a practically perfect self-control. I started to go into a little... Uh, Mary Poppins thing, because you know, if you heard that, I'm practically perfect in every possible way. But uh, anyway, I got too many girls and my kids, and I've watched that movie too much. Uh, so, you know, on this side of glory, we're all going to stumble and fall. We're all going to speak out of turn at some point. We're all either going to overreact or we're going to mistreat one another under the pressures and the stress of life. We're humans. When self-control breaks down, love 
has to, Peter says, intervene for it covers a multitude of sins. And it allows us to love one another and to care for one another in spite of one another. And yet I think perhaps there's even a more subtle point here that Peter's making when, when uh, he's, which is that such Christian love really flows from Christ and it should always direct us to Christ because ultimately we recognize that Christ's love manifested on the cross definitely covered all of our sins. You see, it's because Christ died for us and our sins were ultimately covered and forgiven that um, that is why we can forgive those around us in our church, in our family, at work, at school, uh, when these people sin against us because Christ gave that example as loving us in this way, covering our sins that we can love one another. Love, if it's genuine, must be put into action. And a practical way that Peter says that we can express this love and our self-control is when he says we are to show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, this means more than having a family over to the house for some chicken or some lasagna or spaghetti and, uh, you know, playing dominoes and having fun or whatever it is people do nowadays. Um, he, he says that this hospitality is about opening up our homes and our resources. Well, we don't like to hear that. That we might bless and serve uh, our fellow Christ followers, particularly in their time of need. You see, times of external pressure inevitably becomes times of genuine need within the body of Christ where our emotional needs, our spiritual needs, our financial needs, and our physical needs get exposed. And Peter says, look in love, open yourself up um, by using your resources to minister to those who are in Need, But he, he adds a little caveat to that, and he says, but do that without grumbling. And, and this is important, too, because in times of external pressures, uh, they don't just create the needs in other people in the church. Uh, such time also creates needs in ourselves so that it is oftentimes costly physically. It's oftentimes costly financially and emotionally. And the threatening of our own needs can lead us to grumble if we're not careful. So finally, the last point for your notes is an exile's priority 
is to serve sacrificially. Once again, we ask the question, how do we do that? And, and Peter says, by using the gifts that have been given to you. Now, Peter says in verse 10, uh, as one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Peter's point is, is not in this passage to expound on the nature of spiritual gifts, but just to kind of uh, give a general emphasis of how those gifts should be uh, thought of and used within the church. He's not changing the subject here to spiritual gifts, but he's giving a more specific context where the principles of verses 7 through 9 must be lived out. Uh, you see, one of the things that we often see in other New Testament uh, church uh, letters to the churches is that on many occasions, um, when a church has conflict, one of the places that tends to um, manifest itself is in the exercise of spiritual gifts. You see, churches begin to uh, argue about which gifts are better, which gifts are more important. Uh, Christians begin to use their gifts um, not ultimately for the benefit of others, but many times as a tool of self-promotion within the church. And Peter says to them, he says, look, you need to think about and exercise your gifts according to the very reason and purpose that they were given to you. And he goes on to say, first of all, know that these gifts are not yours. He, he goes on to say, first of all, know they're not yours. They're God's, and he has given them to you as gifts. So, you aren't the owner of the gift. You're merely a steward, he says. And he makes it clear, God, God didn't give you these gifts because of anything in you. He didn't give me my gifts because of anything in me. We didn't merit the gift. Otherwise, it wouldn't really be a gift. But rather, he makes it explicit. He says, these are the gifts of God's grace. And as such, they are to be used, Peter says, to serve one another. Not as a way to promote yourself. Now, there's many ways to use your gifts. I already talked about one this Saturday. You can help uh, with that. There are multitudes of opportunities that um, ministries within the church that uh, your specific gift could be utilized, but one in particular is here on this campus. Uh, one of the needs that we have, uh, really campus-wide everywhere, is on our security team, for example. Um, I want to say that you don't have to be a Navy SEAL or a police officer to be on our security team. We're not looking for that. What we're looking for are people who 
who will be kind, who will be helpful and observant and, and encouraging those who visit and attend our church. Again, a picture of hospitality um, to one another. That's what we're looking for. And it won't be long. Hopefully, you'll have an opportunity. If you're interested, let me know or let David Elsie know. He's, he's uh, one of the few security guys we have. I think he's on today. But uh, anyway, let us know. We'd love to have you. Like I said, we don't need you to know Kyle McGraw or, or you know, the Israeli fighting. We don't care about that. I just, want, I just need a warm body who can love people and be observant. By God's grace, we can declare that we have been saved through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we've been redeemed by the Spirit of God. And we have been regenerated and equipped for the ministry. By the return of Christ, we will be brought home to glory no matter what happens in this world. So today we can be sober-minded. We can think deeply and often about what Christ has um, done for each and every one of us on the cross. And with that clarity of vision in mind, we can be self-controlled. And we can love one another. And we can forbear and forgive sin. We can show that hospitality to one another without grumbling, especially when it's hard. And we can use our gifts with self-control in love for the building up as the song or the passage that uh, uh, was read earlier from Thessalonians said for the purpose of building up the church. So, Peter concludes by saying that when you do this, church, something remarkable happens. In everything God is glorified through Jesus Christ, God, the very God to whom belongs um, glory and dominion forever and ever, he says, that God is exalted and he's lifted up by you. He's lifted up by your lives together. And when you live this way together with one another, you're blessed, you're protected, you're loved, and you're provided for by one another, and God is then glorified in you and through you. And in the midst of everything, all the noise, all the cultural pressure outside that's going on, by God's grace, the promise of the gospel is true so that the scripture says the gates of hell will not be able to stand against the church. Um, God has promised. And may we be able to say to one another what Frodo said to Sam 
in the Lord of Rings. Have you, have any of you seen or read that? Remember what he says? He says, I am glad to be with you here at the end of all things. You know, if you're not, if you haven't experienced God's promise of the gospel in your life, if, if, if you haven't experienced that, there's no better time than today to do that. To receive the gift of mercy, a gift of grace, the gift of forgiveness that is offered freely by Christ himself. If you'd like to talk to someone, I'll be up here. I'm sure we'll have a couple of elders up here. We'd love to talk to you to be able to help you understand what it means to have this personal relationship with Christ. So let's go to the Lord in prayer.